we really do love to hate. And what is it about hate that we love? Uh, it makes me powerful because a good way to feel good about yourself is to make and convince yourself that everybody else is bad. Rather than you up your game, you put down their game. And it goes back to a lack of courage, a lack of confidence that I can feel good about myself with you, not by being against you. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back, everyone, and happy holidays. This is Barbara Heller, and you are listening to See One Beautiful Soul. Today, my guest is Rabbi David Aaron. He is out of Jerusalem, Israel, and we actually taped this over the summer right in the middle of what is known as the three weeks of mourning within the Hebrew calendar. And that is starting from the 17th of Tammuz till the 9th of Av. And we actually taped this on my birthday, my Hebrew birthday, which is the very first day of Av, the month of Av. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to my YouTube page, Barbara Heller, artist and educator, and look up the word Av, A-V, as in Victor, and you'll see a whole video series about that. Also, please note that you can find your own Hebrew birthday at Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org, and look up Jewish birthday or Hebrew calendar birthday. I actually teach a whole class on it. I'm fascinated by the Hebrew astrology, and I think it's really worthwhile looking into. So I met Rabbi David Aaron, as you'll hear in this episode, about 20 years ago, and he completely changed my life. My life has not been the same since I met him. He is just a very magical, compassionate, kind person. He also happens to be a rabbi, an author. He is widely published in the Simon & Schuster world, and you can find thousands of videos on him on YouTube, a lot of which are him speaking over an animated series. And they're just fantastic. And they cover all these really difficult, challenging, dense subjects in a very lighthearted and fun and uplifting way. So if you want to learn about God in two minutes, you can just pop up one of those videos and you'll find some really interesting things that you can watch and enjoy and forward to people who may need it. I think Rabbi Aaron has this wonderful way of tackling very, very challenging, dense subjects and making it very easy for people to make into bite-sized pieces of knowledge and really put them right into their heart. You know, there's a lot of people that are able to make workbooks and, you know, PDFs of very complex things. And when you're done, you're like, oh, that was intellectually satisfying, but your heart still might hurt or you might not grasp it emotionally or spiritually. And Rabbi Aaron just has this way of maybe because he speaks directly from his heart, but it just goes right into the heart. You'll see what I mean. He is the founding father of Israelite, which is an organization he began with his wife in Israel many years ago. And he is the Dean Rosh Hashiva of a place called Oraita. That's O-R-A-Y-T-A. You can give to both of these organizations just by looking them up on 
the interwebs. So you can go to orita.org or israelite.org, which is spelled I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T.org. Their philosophies, their tools for how to live a very connected, spiritual, great life, just amazing. And the kinds of students which come out of their programs, I am actually one of them, see the world through loving eyes. Reminding you guys that my book, And Then One Day the World Coughed, is still available on Amazon and they make wonderful holiday gifts and birthday presents. Did I mention graduation presents as well? You can actually get it as an Amazon Kindle published book, or you can get it delivered right to your door in this really nice, large size, soft cover book that you can sit on the couch and share with your family. And that is the point of it is to discuss all of the concepts that come up for you in it. Please, if you enjoy this episode or any portion of it, share, share, share it on Facebook, on Instagram, tag us in the comments. Please don't forget to subscribe here on iTunes or if you're listening on Spotify and please forward it via email or in your texting or in WhatsApp. You can actually share the episode with people that you love or at the very least someone who really annoys you, but that you want to get to love. I hope you're laughing. And seriously, if someone you know could really use a piece of this wisdom, notice the timestamp of where that moment is within the podcast and then forward it to them and say, hey, listen to minute whatever it is and actually put the timestamp in there. I've done that so many times to friends and they really, really appreciate it. Hi. How's it going? Wow. Good morning. It is my Hebrew birthday, and I can't imagine. Wow. Rosh Chodesh Av. Yeah. I know. It's such a deep week. It's like very intense week, but it is what it is. That's that's when I was supposed to be born. And yet I feel like I was born with this very lightheartedness too. So I think we're just going to dive in. I wanted to talk a little bit about how we met because it's a kind of a crazy story. I went to a Shabbat dinner, and this really beautiful soul. Her name was Marion. She was raving about this thing called Israelite. It was the first time I had met her. And up until that moment, I thought, this is such a cool person. She's so fun and vivacious. She worked at Disney or works at Disney. She was a producer. And we got, we got along so well. I felt like she was one of my camp friends. And then she drops this like cult bomb on me and says, you know, I, I belong to this cult. It's called Israelite. You should come with me. Well, at least that's what I thought. She didn't call it a cult, did she? No, she did not. Okay, okay. But I just thought that was such a weird thing to say. Like, we're having this great conversation. We're, we're so connecting. And then she right. says, hey, at the very end of the night, she says, you should come to this retreat that I'm going to be going to. Uh-huh. My little brain at that point, I'm 24 years old. I don't really trust that many people from my heart. I immediately go to, oh, she's a, she's weird. I actually can't trust her. Mm. And she wound up inviting me to that retreat. And something inside of me said, just find out about it. Cause she's so cool. You know, she's just more than anyone I'd ever met right away. I felt so close to her and her boyfriend, Saul at the time. I mean, we laughed and cried together and they said, you should go to this retreat. And they handed me a flyer and I went home and I looked at the flyer and I just kept looking at it the whole weekend because that was Friday night. By Sunday morning, I called the number. You didn't answer. You weren't there. This was a, a Boca Raton office. And I thought, it's in Boca where I'm from? Like, I understand if a retreat, you know, Israel, New York, but Boca, like at that point, it wasn't a lot of young Jews. It was a lot of old people playing shuffleboard. Right. And I called the number and this guy, Morty, answers the phone and talks to me for an hour. But he really listened. He didn't really talk. 
And that's all I needed. And I just shared, I shared how sad my life was and how I was still searching for meaning. And, you know, he asked me such good questions. Where are you at in life? What do you want in life? Being ignored as a kid, I couldn't wait to tell somebody what was wrong with my life who would listen besides a psychologist. And he said, I think, you know, if you're not sure what you want to do and you're really stuck How could six days on a retreat site eating vegetarian food, this is literally what he said, and listening to great speakers, he didn't say rabbis, he said great speakers, how could that not change your whole life? And I said, well, I guess you have a point, but I can't really afford it. He goes, well, you're an actor, right? I said, yeah. He said, can you teach improv? And I said, yeah, I'm taking classes at this place called the Upright Citizens Brigade. No one had heard of it at that point, but became like the biggest improv school in the world. We have two of them here, two in New York. There were three at one point in New York. I mean, it's giant, but I was in the first classes of it. I said, yeah, I can teach improv. And he said, great. If you can teach one class of improv to the singles on like this night, you know, nightly activity, we'll pay for your trip. You just have to find a way to get here. And I had $200 left in my bank account. And I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done, or it could be the best thing. And I used... $169, I'll never forget it, on an American Airlines flight round trip from New York to Orlando. And they picked, you know, you guys picked me up from the airport. And I thought, if this is really a cult, like, I better make sure I have like, so I had like a cab company (laughs) phone number with me. And as soon as you came out, you guys have to picture this. It's, the scene is, it's a forest in the middle of nowhere, Orlando. Like I thought it was just Disney World. I grew up in Florida. Orlando was just for parks and, you know, big recreation. This is like a park in the middle of nowhere. And it was a Christian themed campus. I remember you guys put little sheets over the crosses just because, you know, a bunch of Jews sitting around and you come out of the forest. And I don't know how you got the lighting. I don't know what it was, but it was just you and all of us in chairs, like kind of waiting for this rabbi to come. The first thing you said was, I don't believe in God. And I was like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And then you said, I believe in something bigger, bigger than that word. And Uh, then you went on from there and you said Hashem. And it it means like all encompassing beyond what we could ever say in words. And I was hooked. I was like, this guy, this guy's smarter than any rabbi I ever met. This guy has something that nobody has. And I've always told you, I think that you should definitely write a book for all, like a letter to all the atheists, because I don't even know what atheist means anymore. I think it just means someone who's in doubt, which aren't we all, but you have something you, God gave you some. I don't believe in God. So right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whatever you want to call it, the universe gave you of special power with your words and your humor and your capacity to love. I could cry just thinking about it. Uh, Thank you so much. Your compassion is so big that everyone who gets the privilege of listening to you or sitting with you, it's just, even if it's through a video, I have friends that I'll send them a video and they're like, where are more? I got to hear more. You know, you just have this capacity to, to love people because you know you're connected to something bigger that loves everyone. Yeah. And it's so remarkable. And I really think you're one of the giants of our generation. I'm so honored to sit with you. I'm sorry that story took so long, but I, I figured it was good to have context. 
Well, I'm, I'm very thankful for the very, very kind words. And uh, if you want to continue and say nice things about me more, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> well, that's, this is actually a setup because I know you don't like that. So I'm trying to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is all about forgiveness because I really think that if everyone was able to love and forgive themselves just a little bit more every day, maybe that would save the world from what we're going through right now. Yes. Yeah. So I'd love to hear anything you want to say about the biggest thing in your life that you had to forgive or what you think people need to hear about just forgiveness in general. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I've been hurt a few times. You're human, right? Yeah. And sometimes it it was from people that I really personally invested a lot in and turned on me. Mm. I can honestly say that I do not bear a grudge, you know, because I had them eliminated by the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) Now, because I'm not so great either, you know, and I've made mistakes and I've hurt people and I want them to forgive me. And if I want them to forgive me, then I have to do that too and forgive others. And how do you forgive somebody? I mean, what if they didn't ask you forgiveness? I'm thinking of a particular situation, which is probably the Worst thing anybody ever did to me. I, I feel nothing negative towards this person. And how did, I, how did I get to that place? I just got inside his head. And from where he's coming from and, the, and his background and, and let's say the tools that he has, this is the choice he made. So I've let go of that. And, you know, like forgiveness, there's, there's two parts of forgiveness. I, I once heard it put very well, not to forgive somebody is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else is going to die. I'm hurting myself by holding all this negativity and resentment and anger. Why should I do that to myself? Now, to forgive another person doesn't mean it's okay what they did. And it doesn't mean that if they, even in some technical way, make some kind of compensation. I'm not saying forget about that. But I'm saying that in my heart, I want to find a place where I can allow people to make mistakes. And I think people make mistakes not because they want to hurt me, but because they themselves are hurting. And my experience is people are hurting people because they're hurting themselves. They themselves are in hurt. And they don't know a better way. I'd rather just let go of it and get on with my life I'm hoping that they themselves will come to realize that they made a mistake and I hope they will ask for forgiveness. But the forgiveness is already waiting. They don't have to ask me to forgive them to be forgiven. They need to ask me to forgive them so they can forgive themselves. Mm, Wow. So let's talk a little bit more about hurting our own self. You're saying people are already coming from hurt. Where do you think it comes from? that we stay in the hurt? What is it that makes us stay there? Because no one would choose it if they knew it consciously. So what is it about human beings that makes us want to stay in our little bubble and, oh, I can't talk to them anymore. My family doesn't talk to that person anymore. Like these are the divisions. I I once had a cousin who I met at a bar mitzvah later in life. Like I was already in college and I said, where have you guys been? Like, how come I never met you? And she said, oh, you, you didn't hear our grandparents. They had a falling out like 40 years ago. And I said, wait, 
but I really like you. Like we're so similar and I could have gone to camp with you and like had you over. And what makes us do these destructive things? Well, I can only guesstimate. Uh, One of my guesstimations is we have this deep sense of and desire for justice and we apply it to ourselves. Like we are, I think we are punishing ourselves. Mm. I think we feel that if we punish ourselves enough, somehow we will be able <laughs> to be redeemed by the punishment. Uh. And I would say to people, you know, you're so worried of God punishing you, but don't worry about it. You've done a wonderful job on your own. He's saying, could you let up? Could you just stop being so hard on you? Like, who are you? You think you're God? I think people are living with a lot of self-punishment. And I think a lot of people are afraid to be happy because happiness is a responsibility. Mm. Like if you're actually really feeling good, then you have no reason not to go out there and do good. But if you're really feeling bad, look at I'm I'm, I'm depressed today. I just can't do it. Mm. And I think people are actually very afraid to, to be happy. And I also think that they have such a harsh view of themselves that they're afraid that if they're happy, that will invite a lot of judgment from God because does, God doesn't want them to be happy. So <laughs> what are you so happy about? <laughs> if they, so if they could sabotage their own happiness, they'll protect themselves from the wrath of God because there's a takeaway. A person doesn't do something that does not a takeaway. The people are enjoying their sadness. They're getting something out of being unhappy. And the question is, what what are you getting out of this? There's something in it for you to be so down and to be so dark and be so depressed. There must be something in it. And until a person is able to figure out how they're profiting from this business, they're going to continue to invest in the business because they don't understand Hmm. that they should get another business and stop being in the business of depression and sadness and darkness and anger and resentment. It's not not hard to change businesses, you know, but the first way to do it is to understand like, there's so much suffering already in the world. Why do I need to add more to my suffering? There's enough things going on that are challenging me why should I throw more fuel on the fire of the challenges of life I already have? And so to practice self-compassion and to be able to forgive ourselves and say, you know what? Okay, I made a mistake and uh, I don't want to keep making those mistakes. But generally people keep making those mistakes because they're afraid to see it, say it, and let go of it and say, I can go on. People are afraid to say they're wrong. And they should be afraid to say they're wrong because you're not wrong. You could never be wrong. You could do a wrong act. Mm. But that doesn't make you wrong. Mm. And so we're talking a language that keeps us in prison of our own, often our own making, because we, we're afraid that if, so, if I say I'm sorry to someone, I made a mistake, then somehow I think I am a mistake. Mm. Uh, you're not a mistake. You made a mistake. That's a very small part of who you are. There's a great teaching. There was a great, great sage by the name of Rabbi Aryeh Levine. And in, uh, in our teachings, there's an idea that there are 36 hidden holy people. These are righteous, 
holy people, but they're hidden. And so, Ayu <laughs> so, so Levine was really extraordinary. And someone once came up to Rabbi Aryeh Levine and said, are you one of those 36 hidden tzaddikim, 36 holy people of the world? And so Rabbi Aryeh Levine didn't want to disappoint him. So he said, sometimes what I learned from that is sometimes I'm one of the holiest people in the world. And sometimes I'm one of the most unholiest people in the world. And when I'm sometimes this, that doesn't take away from when I'm sometimes that. And when I'm sometimes that, that doesn't, uh, you know, absolve me of the sometimes that I'm not that. And so we have a tendency to be very harsh in our self-definition that I'm this. Rather, I'm this sometimes, and I'm that sometimes, and I want to increase that sometimes more because that's the better version of myself. Beautiful. Thank you. That is exactly where I wanted to go next. I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of nuance, which I've studied every religion, not every, but so many religions in college, I was really searching. And then I, I went to India and Thailand and Japan and Hong Kong, and then eventually Israelite, which got me to Israel for two years because I was like, oh, home, I'm going to go home. <laughs> like my own, maybe it's right under my nose, what God gave me. All my grand, grand, grandparents practice this. Maybe I should look into it. And you were the train that got me there. But I will say that one of the greatest things that I love about Judaism is that there's nuance. You know, our Talmud is full of law. And then I always explain to people that it's a little bit like Facebook. It's a status and then a lot of comments written around it and likes. And instead of emojis, you have this rabbi and that's, oh, I, I go with that rabbi. And so it's like very like on the page but there's all this nuance and what if you do this way? And what if you, you know, have to kill a chicken this way so that it doesn't get hurt and everything is like the nuance. What if I don't have this kind of knife to kill it? And I don't mean, I'm sorry if you're vegan and you're listening, but there's nuance with every single law and there's nuance with every single idea of how to create yourself. Like this idea of Musser, like becoming the best version of you that you can be. It's the best self-help book in the world that I've ever read. I feel like today, when I look at ads, for instance, which is arguably statistically the thing that people read the most, whether they want to or not. So when I look at an ad, it's very much exactly what you're saying. It's black and white. Don't buy this car when you could buy this car. There's no such thing as the middle of the road. It's either this or this. And so we're constantly being flooded with black, white, black, white, purple, green. And it's There's no in-between. And so I wonder if you could speak to, in terms of nuance, how much the media has like affected us. Let's say when you walk into a room, like I know you visit colleges and high schools and you go to retreats and you speak all over the world. What do you come up against in resistance to nuance and how do you actually bring that out? Well, to be able to respect nuance, you have to have a lot of courage because it's very easy to say it's all this or it's all that, but it's really something quite extraordinary and every situation needs to be appreciated. There are general principles, but have to have particular applications to those general principles. And 
You know, I tell you, it actually fits in very much to what's going on now for the Jewish people in terms of what we call the three weeks, which is a buildup to the destruction of the temple. And our sages tell us that the temple was destroyed because of what's called sinat chinam, which is Hebrew for senseless or baseless hate. And baseless hate sounds kind of strange because if you ask somebody why do you hate somebody, they can find a reason all the time. <laughs> you know, like what is a baseless hate? Well, so our sages tell us that there was a time where people hated each other just because they were different. It's not because this person was a threat to them. It's not because this person ever did anything against them. Uh, it's not that they were competing for natural resources and I felt that uh, having you around was bad for me. It's just you're different. It's actually incredibly childish because it happens not, it's not uncommon that in kindergartens or, or in schools of younger children, when a new kid comes into the class, kids can be very mean to the child, even though the child didn't do it. They don't know anything. No, they just know he's different. And so our sages tell us that there is a hatred and it still exists because if it stopped, then the temple would have been, you know, rebuilt. So we seem to still be entrenched in this hatred for people who are just different. Mm. And I have absolutely no reason to dislike you other than you're different. And that's not a reason to dislike somebody just because they're different. That goes into the nuance. We're afraid of nuance. We're afraid of, you know, what could this mean? And it all comes from insecurity. Yeah. Like, why should I be afraid of someone who's different? Well, because maybe it makes me different, you know, and I don't want to be different. But imagine, you know, you're part of a puzzle and there's a bunch of pieces and they see this new piece show up, you know, and they say, oh, we don't like this guy. Look how different he is. And we got to get rid of him because he's different. They don't understand that the reason and the only way the puzzle will be completed is we embrace this guy because he's different. If we were all the same, we could not compile this puzzle. We should love the difference and we should celebrate the differences. And we should not be afraid to be different because that's how we come together. Beautiful. On that note, you know, we're coming out of the riots and just a lot of press that's overwhelmed us. And I actually had this interesting encounter happen a few weeks ago where I started crying on Instagram. I, like many people of all different colors, nationalities, I got up and I, I went in front of my home and started speaking about how sad I was that I knew people were just a few miles from here looting and rioting in the streets and some very beautifully, like some just speaking and, and marching and, and saying, we need this type of civil liberty. And it was beautiful. And some of it wasn't beautiful. Some of it was very painful to watch and hear about. People got hurt. People got COVID. People were mean to each other. Thank God there wasn't a lot of senseless killing, but there was senseless hatred and violence. And I just couldn't stop crying. I was so, so worried about humanity. I was so worried about what was going to happen next. And to add injury and so I spoke about how upset I was about this situation and, and I wanted people to know that I'm here and I, I want to do something good. And I think I was just like everyone else that was jumping on Instagram and Facebook Live to say the same thing. 
And someone heard my rant and wrote a comment, which, you know, made me feel so even worse. And she said, how dare you? Like, how, how could you speak right now? Can, can we not hear from you for a week? And she is part of like, you know, the African-American people. And I immediately wrote, thank you so much for sharing how you feel. This is great. We can actually talk. And I wrote her privately and I said, is there, is there any way we could just talk on the phone or do a FaceTime? Cause I'd love to hear from you and why there's so much anger. I feel the anger more than I hear the message. And I'm with you. I even made a documentary last year about Black people and Jewish people getting along in New York because of a rash of uh, hate crimes that had happened. And I went up to 10 people on the street and had 10 conversations and they were beautiful. And I said, can I send it to you? And can we, can we just talk? Because, you know, I'm a Jewish person. I don't consider myself a color. I'm a soul. And I think you're a soul. And I don't see you as a color either. I see you as coming from a people and we're different, but what makes us different makes us beautiful. And she wrote back, watch these seven documentaries, read these five books. And in eight months, when you're done, we can talk. Oh, well. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm on the first one. And then I sent her my documentary anyway, because I wanted her to see it. I was curious what she thought. And she wrote, thanks. Mm-hmm. And what I got from that whole exchange was hurt. You know, I was hurt. She seems very hurt. I I feel like all I did was put salt on her wounds. And all I was really trying to do was connect. And I think there's this interesting dichotomy that's happening today where people have an absolute right to be angry. George Floyd should not have been killed. That is 100% true. Breonna Taylor, there's so many names. It's so disgusting that innocent people are losing their lives. It's like even police have to come up with products. There's all these like end results. And at the same time, going back to what you just said, Rob, like not to use the term black and whiteness about the way that we see things right and wrong. We have such, we want justice. We want to be protected from evil and anger and hatred and racism. I get all of that, but there's very little room, it seems, to improve. There's not a lot of forgiveness. Like When the Jewish people had the Holocaust happen, right, we had people come forward and say, I'm sorry. And I know that there are some Jewish people that are like, oh, I'll never touch, I'll never trust another German again. But in general, it doesn't seem, at least to me, like we have this, you cannot be forgiven and it will never, like we say never again. But I have Jewish friends living in Germany right now. And I just feel like, like right now, I'm seeing a lot of ego and anger And when we practice that, what happens? There's more ego and anger. So could you speak to that? Because I feel like there's so many times that people will come forward and say, okay, I got the memo. I have to include more black people on my podcast, or I have to hire diversified staff at this place or this place. But it's very little, like people will say, well, I canceled you. It's over. We're not talking anymore. So can you speak to that culture, which is like, when do we start to accept that there's growth and how, and how do we even do that? Well, I don't see it as ego and anger. I see it as fear and mistrust. I, I think it starts with, I'm afraid. I've been hurt so many times. I have no reason to believe that you're going to be any different than anybody else. And I understand that, you know, you're hurt 
so multiple times you you decide scientifically if out of a hundred people hurt you, then the hundred and one person also must be a serial herder. There's this lack of trust, and there's fear that I'll be hurt again. I don't want to be hurt again, so I'm protecting myself from people. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of wisdom to be able to give a person a chance that maybe this person is different. Maybe they're not all the same. Funny but sad story. A friend of mine was not married at the time that this happened. He was in his 50s. He wasn't married. And he came to Israel because there was a, um, an international singles event. And he was very much looking for his, his soulmate. I very much want to help people meet each other. It saddens me when people are alone and cannot find that life partner. So um, he told me about the, this event happening. And I said, you know, I, I'd like to see what they're doing because I, I would like to contribute in any way I could. And I'm, so I, I'm, I'm interested in this kind of thing. So I said, okay. So he said, I think it's in this particular hotel. So I said, great. We went to the hotel. Uh, and he wasn't sure if this is where this international event was happening. So he walked into the uh, lobby and there was a woman sitting there and she looked like she might be about 50 years old. And he says to her, excuse me, uh, do you know, is this where the international singles event is happening? And she looked at him with disgust and she said, well, you're late. <laughs> like really mean. And he says, I'm not late. I'm just asking. I'm not, I wasn't sure where it is. She says, huh, what a joke. I mean, if you really wanted to get married, you'd know where it is, okay? And I couldn't believe my eyes and my ears. <sighs> the two complete strangers started yelling at each other in a lobby of a hotel. And the beautiful thing is they're now married. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> and they're said, still well, arguing. <laughs> so he says to her, you know, they start yelling at each other. And I'm thinking, you know, what's going on here? Mm. She's not meeting him. He's not meeting her. Right. He walked in in her eyes. He represents all men. Mm. All the men that she's ever met in her life, he belongs yeah. to that club. He is a card-carrying member of the Breaker of Hearts Club. And he looked at her, not for who she is, but he saw her as a member of the women. And we have to remember that we are not members. <laughs> Everybody is an individual and cut us some slack and give us a chance and let me show you I am different. Yeah. And I think we're going to find that there are a lot of people that are different. So, but it doesn't start with ego and anger. It starts with fear and mistrust. Yeah. I've been hurt so many times. I, I have no reason to trust anybody and I'm in pain and I don't want to feel hurt again. So I'm afraid of being hurt. Yeah. And I have reasons to believe that you're going to be just like everybody else. Yeah. But you're not like everybody else. And we're, once again, bringing so much more pain because on one hand, you are fighting for dialogue and somebody reaches out to you for dialogue and you say, well, read 10 million books and, and, read, and watch these films and then maybe you can talk to me. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying that I shouldn't get an education of where you're at, but maybe, maybe we could just have a simple, compassionate, open conversation. 
And what would you say to people who follow, let's say like Louis Farrakhan and, you know, Jews are the root of all evil. Like when you hear that today, I'm sure like myself, you're in disbelief, but if someone were to say, no, he's got to be right. And you hear that, how do you argue with that? (laughs) Someone's just, I I still can't believe it's happening today. I think it goes back to the unwillingness to take responsibility. Somebody is to blame. Mm. I, I heard this one guy say, the difference between a loser and a winner is losers blame and winners take responsibility. Mm. And so, so it's very easy and uh, it's very comforting to say all our problems are because of somebody else. When mm. maybe, our, maybe we're also part of the problem. I'm not saying it's just you or it's just me. Maybe we shouldn't even think in terms of me or you, but us. But it comes from also a very childish, immature approach that <laughs> all these people are the source of evil. Like, yeah. based on what? Right. <laughs> but it's just easy to just blame somebody so I don't feel that the onus is on me and, uh, and there's somebody to blame. And, you know, this is what Hitler did. He found somebody to blame for Germany's problems. And it unites people to have someone they can together hate and blame. So how do we get united in love? How can we see one another as one big, beautiful soul? You were the first person to teach me that, that we are not really our outside shells we really aren't even our personalities or our blood type. We are a soul and we're all connected as one, the trees, the earth. I know you're a Rav Kuknick. You, you know, there's a rabbi that you study who wouldn't even walk on the grass if he could avoid it because he was afraid of stepping on bugs. I remember reading that about him. As soon as I learned that you went to the yeshiva where <laughs> that's what, you know, his books were studied more than anything. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause that's how you are. So we are what we read. We are what we study. So because you've studied this, what's a basic tool that we can use to really see that we're actually all one big soul. And if you hurt one of us, you actually hurt everybody. I think it starts with realizing how much we love to hate. Wow. We really do love to hate. And what is it about hate that we love? Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me powerful because a good way to feel good about yourself is to make and convince yourself that everybody else is bad rather than you up your game you put down their game and it goes back to a lack of courage a lack of confidence that i can feel good about myself with you not by being against you Mm -hmm. i'll even feel better about myself with you than against you But when I hate and we hate, then we're able to say they're not good, which means we must be the good guys in the story. I remember the film, but I was on a plane and I fell asleep and I woke up and I woke up to the end of this film. And I was really from God because it was like the last five minutes of the film. And in the last five minutes of the film, the leading star, the leading role realizes that he's actually the bad guy in the movie. (laughs) 
And the whole movie, I realized, was about this guy that was so sure that he's the good guy and everybody else is the bad guy. And then at the end of the movie, he realized that I'm the bad guy. So nobody wants to face that. Maybe, maybe I'm the bad guy. <laughs> and so by making everybody else the bad guy, that's a great cover-up. You know, it's one thing to, to lie to people. It's another thing to lie to yourself. Because mm. when you lie to people, you know it's not true. But when you lie to yourself, you actually think it's true. <laughs> and you don't think it's a lie. Mm. And that's hard. That's hard. So I think one of the things that would be helpful if we could be able to ask someone that I really believe cares about me and is truly interested in my best for my best is, is there something that I'm not seeing about myself? Is there some self-deception that I have embraced and I'm completely oblivious of? What is that? Yeah. You know, and that, yeah, that's a lot of courage. We have to stop looking for quick fixes because to fix ourselves is not a quick fix. But it starts with, I think we don't like people because we really don't like ourselves. Hmm. And you know the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I think I'm not able to love my neighbor because I don't love myself. And so I figure out ways to love myself in the wrong ways by hating them. I think I feel better about myself that I'm not like them. At least I'm not one of them. Yeah, you see that even in hashtags or like, you know, I have friends that will post on Facebook and, and Instagram. This person is, I'm obsessed with them. I idolize them. They're my genius. They're my spokesperson. And then you have people arguing over it. Like there would never be my spokesperson because they did this, 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 and this. And it's like a festival of gossip. And I'm always amazed and I try to like get rid of that as much as possible. But even if I don't like a celebrity or something that they stand for, I really try hard not to speak about it online unless there's a point to it. And I'll say, and, and wouldn't it be great if this person could see this? Because I know deep down they don't really want it. That's kind of like where I come from. If I ever post something and I'm trying to share what I learned from it, as opposed to just look at this person. Ugh, I'm so over them. I cancel them. It's done. There's so much hatred constantly being spouted. And we, we take it in all the time. We don't even realize that it affects us on a physical level, on a spiritual level, on a most, just by reading it or scrolling through. I just had two more questions. What can people do when they approach a date or even, you know, someone on the street for the first time, a stranger? What, what, what can we do when we approach a stranger? What should be the first thing we think when we see them? Uh, it's not what we think. It's what we choose to do which is to seek interest. A good friend of mine uh, shared with me a really beautiful insight. And he's dating and he's very frustrated. And he said, you know what? What he finds very often is people think that attraction leads to interest. Mm. When it's really the opposite. Interest leads to attraction. And he said, just show interest. Get to know this person rather than, oh, I don't like their looks, so they're not worth getting to know. Mm. No, every human being is worth getting to know. Our sages teach us who is a wise person, one who learns from everyone. If you meet someone, they have some wisdom that you don't have. So be interested 
And it's very likely that if you come from a place of interest, you might actually discover that there's actually attraction. Mm. But people start the opposite way and say, oh, I'm not attracted, so I'm not going to waste my time. And I wish I could get out of this date as fast as possible because I, I'm not attracted and therefore I'm not interested. Rather than let me see if I can get interested and therefore I'll be attracted. Attractive and, so, and attracted. <laughs> right. So recently I saw something on the Internet, which was this claim that we could get you to fall in love with anybody. Mm. And they these two people. Uh, that never, didn't know each other. And they were given, I don't know, some number of questions, like, I don't know, 40 questions. Oh. And they're going to ask each other this question and see if they could actually fall in love. And they do fall in love. And it's interesting because the questions start off pretty trivial, you know, like they build up these questions where they become more personal and, and more of a kind of sharing and, and you can see in, as they're filming this, this couple, talk, these two strangers talk to each other, you actually see this shift and they fall in love with each other, which is just the point, which is, you know, just get to know somebody and then you'll see. But most people say not worth getting to know because I don't like their looks. I'm not saying that looks is unimportant, but I'm sure we've all experienced where we met somebody at first glance I didn't find them attractive, but when I get to know them, suddenly they actually look differently, right. you know? And so now I'm tuning into their inner beauty that really becomes manifest, even physically. And so start with interest with the intention of getting to attraction. Great. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, what do you think people need to hear right now? I know we had spoken about why is COVID happening and, and why is the worst question you taught me a long time ago to ask God, because we'll never know, but what can I learn from this? So hopefully by the time this airs, COVID will be gone. There'll be either, you know, some sort of vaccination or maybe like the Spanish flu, it'll just dissipate and we won't need to worry about it anymore. But my question is, what is this supposed to teach us? What can we learn from this? And what do people really need to hear right now? What should we be working on the most? There's so many things we have to work on, climate change, the economy, but what is it that we could do every day that could really change the world? Well, I think one of the things that we can learn or what COVID is setting us up for is to face ourselves. We are being quarantined, whether literally, but in some way, we have to face ourselves, and, uh, and that's very hard because uh, our world has been very much out there, running, conquering, traveling. We're out there. And uh, there's a, a cute piece from uh, Jerry Seinfeld where he says, you know, what are we doing right now? We're out. Why? Why? Well, because we got to get out. <laughs> and I think we were really, in a very unhealthy way, we were out of balance whereby it was all out there. Mm. It's like I met a friend of mine who said that her daughter realized how much time she spent in her life shopping. Mm. And all the things she thought she needed, because of COVID, she's not able to do all the shopping. She's suddenly realizing, I've got better things to do with my time than shopping all the time. 
And so I think it's heart-wrenching, of course, because the price that we're paying is horrific, horrific. But if it wouldn't be for the death and the terrible sickness and the pain of sickness, there's a tremendous blessing in having to slow down Mm. and be and stop running. I remember someone did this to me and it was very effective. I was at a conference and I was running to give a talk. And one of my students, uh, she's a therapist, and she said, Rabbi Aaron, can I catch you for a minute? I said, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm running to my next class. <laughs> she said, but this will really take a few seconds. I said, well, I'm really in a hurry. And she says, I'm, I, it'll just take a few seconds. I said, okay. She says, Rabbi Aaron, I know you for many, many years, and you're a very forward-thinking person, and you're always running to do good. But I want to ask you to take a second to look back how far you've come. I said, oh, stop wasting my time, and I ran forward. No, I said (laughs) that she blew my mind. I said, like, wow, that is so true. It's like we're constantly seeing how far we need to go, and we're not looking back and realizing and and patting ourselves a little bit on the shoulder and say, look how far you've come. Mm. Look how far you've come. And so I think it creates an opportunity. I know for myself, this has really been very challenging because I had five trips booked for the summer. I was going to be going to the different corners of the world teaching. And I have never been in my house this long in my life. (laughs) I mean, there are days where I wake up and I see that the door is still locked from yesterday and I didn't walk out of the house. I'm so not that kind of a person. I'm a very outside type of person. I love the outside. I love the outdoors. And suddenly I'm realizing and I'm beginning to enjoy be more being, you know, bring more being into my life and, uh, and slow down. So I saw a cute comic. It's this older person who said, well, I'm not adding this year to my life because I didn't use it. This year doesn't count because I didn't use it. But I think the way we could really use this time is to slow down, really breathe, begin to chew our food and, and, and actually taste it. Hmm. We're in a world that's so fast. You know, fast food is you get in there fast, you eat it fast, you get out of there fast. And you didn't even taste. Mm. And so I bless us all that we allow at least one of the lessons I think we can learn from this time is to be more present. And that will be a tremendous gift to ourselves and to everyone else. Amen. Wow. So many times I was about to cry and I was like, just keep breathing. So you're not a puddle. Thank you so much for how you show up in the world. Thank you for having the courage to be present and sit and write so many beautiful books. One of which I give to almost everyone I know. Which book is that? Endless Light. Uh, I didn't write that. I'm just joking. Well, God wrote it through you, but or the universe. You're really someone who has, talk about courage. The fact that you could just sit and write one of those books, let alone all of them, and you know, I know what it's like to have to get up and speak to a lot of people from my heart. And I know how much courage that takes. And I think about you sometimes, because even if it's, if it's a play that I wrote or a song that I'm singing, and sometimes I'm actually asked to speak to, I think, how does Rabbi Aaron do this? (laughs) 
and it gives me it gives me courage someone to look up to so thank you and thanks for being here and i hope i talk to you soon great blessings to all shalom from yushalayim from jerusalem shalom from la Okay, here are some nuggets of wisdom that I personally got by listening back to that interview. I just want to make a disclaimer, even though I was jokingly saying the word cult, Israelite is in no way a cult. I was I was kidding. I think I do explain myself in there, but I just want to make no mistake about it. I, I, was, I was kidding. Israelite is not a cult. Okay, back to the wisdom. Hurt people are currently hurting others because they are continuously hurting themselves. God wants us to stop punishing ourselves. We foolishly think if we punish ourselves, then God won't punish us. But the whole dichotomy is wrong. God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't want us to punish ourselves. And he also doesn't, he, she, it doesn't want to punish us either. The whole point is that God is love, period. However, it is the human condition to feel guilt, sadness, worry, did I make the right choice? Am I hurting someone? Shame, embarrassment. And we have to take responsibility for what we feel when we feel it. It's not up to God to tell us what to feel. In fact, God gave us the free will to feel and think whatever we want. Even though sometimes, yes, of course, it doesn't feel like it's a choice it always is. We foolishly think happiness has a responsibility attached to it. You must do good if you feel good. What if you feel sad? Well, then you can't possibly be productive. So you get a free pass. So stay sad, stay unproductive, and everything will be fine. That's what we tell ourselves. So if we can sabotage our happiness, then we won't suffer consequences from God because we're still foolishly thinking that God wants us to feel sad and punishment. People enjoy their sadness because there's something in it for us. Until we figure out how we're profiting from the business of being sad and staying unproductive, then we'll continue to stay in that business. Anger, resentment, shame, embarrassment, then shaming others, being angry at others, resenting others, not forgiving others. Do you see how there's a correlation there? Why should I change my business? It's too much to change. I've already done this. These are all my habits and my thoughts and my emotions. This is, this is how I feel like myself. There is so much suffering in the world. Why do I need to add more? Ah, but we continue to make the same mistakes because we're afraid to say we're wrong and then see where we're wrong. There's a language that keeps us in prison. It's the language we use every day. If we have the courage to change the language, to change the habits, to change the words we share with others, then we can start to change our actions. And you could never really be wrong. You can make wrong actions. You can say the wrong thing. You can even think wrong thoughts. But you, in essence, are exquisitely beautiful and magnificent. You are a piece of the divine. How could you be wrong? Rav Aryeh Levine, whose grandson will be on the podcast very soon, was once approached by someone on the street who said, Aren't you one of the 36 very righteous hidden people in the world? And he said, hmm, sometimes. Rabbi Aaron gleamed from that, that sometimes we act righteously, all of us, and sometimes we don't. The trick is to see us as a human being or a human becoming, as he says in all of his books. We are not ever supposed to be perfect. And we're 
always riding that beautiful wave of balance between the two. The trick is not to believe that we are black and white in those actions, in those thoughts, in those habits, in those feelings. The trick is to say, I want to bring in more of my higher, holy, righteous self into this world and find the little nuances where you can explore and get even bigger and brighter. Musser, M-U-S-S-A-R, is the study of Judaism. It's a movement that's all about self-improvement. And Rav Yisrael Solanter, S-O-L-A-N-T-E-R, was known to be the father of that movement. The more courage you have, the more you will see nuance in yourself and in others. And the easier it will be to forgive and see everyone as one divine, beautiful soul. According to Rabbi Aaron, The word hate is sometimes best defined as differences between us that we don't understand. People are afraid of nuance because it causes insecurity and we want to be in the known certainty all the time, which obviously is impossible. But people believe that if they can keep things certain and known in their own special ways, then they don't have to have nuance and they can stay afraid of it. We need to love and celebrate our differences for that is the only way that we can all come together as one. When I call someone a Rav, R-A-V, it is short for close to me rabbi. Ego and anger are really fear and mistrust. If we could start with the words, I'm afraid, then cancel culture might actually dissipate because if we get in touch with the fact that we're afraid, then we might actually be able to turn that into, can I trust? Can I love this person? And if we're actually conscious of those words, can I trust? Can I love? Then we can become aware of it and start to trust and love more. It takes a whole lot of courage and wisdom to think, hey, maybe this person is going to be different than all the other people that in my mind they may have represented to me. And to see everyone instead of being a member of their group as a member of our group, we are all one. We have to realize that deep down, some of us love to hate. It makes us feel powerful, feel good about ourselves when we can feel bad about someone else. To share something terrible that happened by one person who may be seen as a member of a group and to shout about it and then get sympathy and have a group think about this one particular group of people. That is very dangerous because it keeps us separate. And when we're separate, we can't be whole. You can't have both at the same time. We're either united as one or we're all separate. And the more that we practice separate, the more separate we will feel and the lonelier this world will be. If we practice love, tolerance, understanding, compassion, patience, we're going to do great. Here's some GROME work. That's spelled grow me work, G-R-O-W-M-E work. Here's your GROME work. You ready? Ask someone today, not tomorrow, don't put it off till tomorrow, do it right now when you get finished listening to this. Ask someone that you trust who is out for your best interest, in person is the best way, or maybe on FaceTime or Zoom, but if you can't get them that way, then definitely get them on the phone. Do not text them or write them this, get their voice involved. Say, is there some self-deception that I've embraced that I'm completely oblivious to? I'd really like to work on my relationships. What do you see in my blind spot that might be putting off certain people in my life. Now remember, it's not a quick fix to fix ourselves. Sometimes it takes time and definitely put your arms around yourself and give yourself a big hug for even having the courage to ask that question. And as you hear the answer as well, 
When we really don't like someone else, it's usually because they have something so big shining back at us like a mirror that we have in ourselves. So when we don't like someone else, it's because we don't like ourselves. And here's one for all the singles. On a first date or meeting someone on the street, it's not what we think, it's what we choose to do. So seek interest. Interest leads attraction. Start with interest with the intention of getting to attraction. Every human being is worth getting to know. They have some wisdom that you don't. Who is a wise person? Someone who learns from every person. And that's actually from Pure Kavot, which is a Jewish text that I highly recommend anyone read if you're searching for more wisdom. Why is COVID happening spiritually for us? What should we be working on the most? What could save us from whatever it's setting us up for? Rabbi Aaron answered to these three questions to face ourselves. Our world has been so out there out of balance. There's tremendous blessing in slowing down and stopping the running. We're constantly looking forward as to where we need to go or grow, but how often do we take a look at how far we've come? Take a moment right now, go ahead, hit pause, take a deep breath, come up with three things you've accomplished even in the past five years that you're proud of. Go ahead, do it now. And we're back. Uh, Please go ahead and give yourself a big hug. And if you have tears streaming down your face because you're so joyful about this moment, I want you to look yourself in the closest mirror and say, I love you and I'm proud of you for how far you've come. And finally, be more present so that you can experience the present of the present. And Endless Light is one of his best books. So if you're looking for a great starter book on one of Rabbi Aaron's bestsellers, I would definitely recommend Endless Light by Rabbi David Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. I am well aware that especially right now during this time of year, you have a million things that you could be doing. I'm so glad that you joined us. Please, please, please share this. Tell us how you feel on Facebook, on our Instagram, Barbie Heller. Join us on Facebook at C1 Beautiful Soul Podcast or C1 Beautiful Soul Community. Uh, That is a great place to get our lives, all the fun stuff that we have for you, some free gifts here and there. Uh, Join us on our website, c1beautifulsoul.com. And please subscribe to us either on iTunes or on Spotify. Leave us a comment on iTunes. That would be the most wonderful Hanukkah gift you could give me. We are also raising funds right now on our GoFundMe page. So if you're listening to this and we don't have the GoFundMe page up, then you're hearing it way after we closed it. But chances are it's still going to be up there. So please go to GoFundMe.com and look up for C1 Beautiful Soul. Or if you go to our C1BeautifulSoul.com page, it is right there up at the top. Please donate so that we can keep these episodes going and growing. We are so appreciative of you. We want to wish everybody a happy and healthy holiday season and a happy and healthy day every day, no matter what holiday it is or it isn't. Every day is a miracle because we're here and you're listening and you can hear my voice. Thank you so much for being here. God bless us all. This episode was produced by Katya Soto. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.